Hey, hey, hey. Mondays are the worst. Backups at work from the weekend. Everyone in the office is in a shit mood. And you could go to the bar, but on a Monday, it feels like the beginning of needing a 12-step program. So stay in and hang out with us while we consume a public meltdown live on stream. Meltdown Monday, Mondays at 7 p.m. Pacific, live at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. And check out our first schedule at echoplexmedia.com. Now I'm talking about the echoplex patrols over here, guys. I bite and I got everything I need. No one clutches their presses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree. And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me. And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee. Just like my straight white male dad did to me. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. I've got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders and I'm spilling tons of salt, but to me that doesn't matter because my skin and my gender and my orientation are the best things to have if you live in this nation. I recommend it highly. Everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do this show live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific and beyond into, wait, whatever, wrong show. Anyway, we're in the new studio. Things are a little little toasty in here, but quite good. Uh, we didn't miss a week of this show, so people listening on the podcast have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, live viewers, uh, thanks for your love and support. It pushed us through on this stream. Thanks to everybody who bought things on our Amazon wish list. Uh, users in chat, you can hit wish. Bang wish in the chat to find out what's left on our Amazon wish list, but uh, motherfucking somebody bought us a brand new computer. I'm not using it yet. Anyway, um, you can find me on Grinder, and I am Gay Dave, and we're gonna get right to the content here. We are going back to trigonometry this week. That's right, trigonometry. Um, they're gonna talk about it's the truth about the involuntarily celibate, and uh, it's with some guy, I guess. I don't know. We'll see what's up. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisser. Non Oliver. This is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a PhD researcher in the field of evolutionary psychology. Willem Costello, welcome to Trigonometry. 
Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Uh, it's really good to have you on, man. Uh, before we get into the conversation, we really wanted to talk to you specifically about incels because that's something we covered recently and you got in touch with us and you were like, here's some data and facts and research on it. Yeah. So we thought we'd be really good to get you on to talk about it more. Before we do though, tell everybody a little bit about your background. How are you, where you are? What's been your journey through life that leads you to be sitting here talking to us? Sure, so I moved from Ireland to England uh, for my undergraduate degree uh, 11 years ago. Uh, just last year, I graduated from- Oh, it's like evil Chris Kavanaugh, because Chris Kavanaugh is a, an Irish guy. It's evil Chris Kavanaugh. London uh, with a master's in psychology, culture, and evolution. Uh, my research dissertation topic um, was incel psychology. And uh, my colleague and co-author, she always jokes to me that people say that research is me-search. So I have no comment on that. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, what a, what a self-deprecating gag. Austin, Texas to join uh, the David Buss Evolutionary Psychology Lab there as a PhD student and researcher. And uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of me and my journey in, yeah. in, a, in a nutshell. And uh, it's good to see you've lost the action in 11 years as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, pick up the brummy one. <laughs> uh, but, and David Buss, of course, being the founder of basically the creator of the field of evolutionary psychology. So that's an amazing move for you. Congrats. Uh, but let's talk about what you wanted to talk to us about, because we've, we've had some guests on to, we've, and we touched on the subject of incels, but you've done a lot of very interesting research into it. So a lot of your guests are. Into this issue for the first time, doesn't know anything about it. Who are incels? How do you define them, etc.? Right. So incels are a kind of a, an online subculture community of men who form a strong sense of their identity around what they perceive as their inability to form sexual or romantic relationships. Uh, they believe in something called the black pill. Often, a lot of many incels believe in something called the black pill, which means uh, in their they case, believe in jawlines too, like, like phrenology. Improve their romantic prospects, and that it's over for them in terms of uh, competing on the mating market. Uh, a significant minority of incels engage in uh, what we call misogynistic online hostility. But one study found that just 10% of incels are responsible for the vast majority of the extreme hateful content uh, online. Uh, so like any other group, it kind of tends to be the fringe minorities within that community that shout the loudest and maybe get used as emblematic of that community. In rarer instances still, uh, incels have lashed out in violent rage. The most famous case is uh, Elliot Roger, uh, who in Ilsa Vista in California in 2014, he uh, wrote a 49-page manifesto talking about how he wanted to have a day of retribution where he would kill chads who are the sexually successful men. Me and, and you, mate. Exactly. Right, yeah. Uh, maybe Constantine, maybe not so much non-Oliver. Uh, uh, and so Stacey's are the, the sexually uh, successful women that reject him. So he's right. really like kind of resentful. And um, how prototypical he is of... Uh, typical of an incel uh, is not that clear from a psychological point of view, which is what I wanted to kind of study. But always in the media, you'll see two cases always brought up, the Elliot Roger case and the Alec Manasian case. Alec Manasian mm. is the guy in Toronto who drove his van into a crowd of people and killed uh, 10 in that attack. And he's just actually the other day been sentenced to 25 years to life. So that was in Canada too, man. You got to do some shit to get 25 to life in Canada. Worldwide, the incel death count attributable to incels is about 50 to 60. Alec Manasian alone. Well, that we know of, like, that's not really, like, that's not really accurate, right? Because all he's, he's basing it on like stories that hit the media. 
stories that we heard about because of the media. We don't know how many people acted out violently because they were having a hard time with uh, sex and relationships. That's unknowable. Because once once somebody if somebody commits a crime, they're not just going to be like, oh, it was me and I did it because I can't get laid. Like the like who's going to do that? Like people aren't going to do that. It's not it's not what people say. And he's always reported on in the media as the, the typical kind of insult. Um, but what's not often reported on is the judge's verdict last year came out where the judge, um, if you look into the report, said that the Alec Manasian, he clearly piggybacked on the incel movement to gain notoriety and to get more kind of infamy associated with his, his act of violence. And that's But it's never just one thing. And just because the judge, that was the judge's opinion based on what was presented in court. Nobody's saying that the, like, Elliot Roger, or I forget this guy's name now because it's, like, he's not as famous or whatever. Nobody's saying it was just one reason. It's that their, their membership in this community, this online community and this online movement was, like, a driving force for it. It wasn't, it's, nothing's ever just for one reason. It's a uh, problem because by giving such a notoriety uh, to these attackers, it could potentially inspire future spree killers. You know, I mean, uh, what if you were seeking to gain notoriety, you can get your YouTube videos splashed all over the news, and that goes directly against uh, kind of media guidelines from anti-terrorism kind of uh, organizations right. and male Particularly when you're dealing with people who are low status, who are seeking status, that would seem to be a very dangerous thing to be doing. Absolutely, yeah. So it's kind of, it's a dangerous game to play. And, uh, but yeah, beyond that, I just think it's very unfair to uh, the wider kind of incel community, which would, uh, to kind of hold up the most extreme actions of an extreme minority within that community. Oh, great. Now do feminists or trans people. As representative. We tend to rail against that attitude about uh, other groups. Uh, for example, it's harmful stereotype to stereotype Muslims as terrorists uh, based on the actions of an extreme minority. Um, so those figures maybe. Uh, might come as surprising to some people who kind of think, well, the vast majority of incels are misogynistic and potentially violent. William is I mean, they are part of the manosphere, and that's a generally like anti-feminist, misogynist, uh, like community. Like, just because they're not all constantly posting about how they hate women or whatever doesn't mean that the community isn't like built around that idea. People, all these blokes, I should say. Well, well, yeah, I mean, my sexual and romantic relationships in my life have been some of the most enriching and experiences available to people. So uh, for, uh, for that to come, for, for it to happen, that incels form their identity, to have such psychological pain with the prospect of trying to form romantic relationships that it forms their identity, I imagine that must be a significant kind of pain. And, you know, I just think it's a, a poorly understood topic and uh, we could do better it, to understand better the problems incels face. And so, like, not for nothing, there's a lot of men and women out there who have a hard time um, dating. Maybe they're introverts. Maybe they have, you know, self-esteem issues and all this stuff. But the vast majority of people who are going through a dry spell or who can't find a date or whatever don't end up joining these kinds of online communities. I think, like, once you join this kind of online community, it kind of, it's like mask off time. Because... Because there's other ways to cope with this. There's therapy. There's like hanging out with your friends. There's like, it's just a lot of other ways to cope with this stuff than, than joining a, an online community that is 
you know, known for misogyny, even if most of these people aren't like spreading misogynist messages most of the time, if the community's known for misogyny, why would you join the community? Especially if you're like a straight man and you're looking to meet women, women aren't really going to like misogynists generally, or at least I hope not. I'm sure there's some out there. I present in society and uh, that's why I set out to, to study them. And maybe I'm being judgmental here. How much of this is just a load of blokes just being incredibly self-pitying and going, poor me, poor me, poor me. Because look. Like, even I wouldn't describe it that way, non-Oliver. I think there's a lot more going on than just self-pity. Like Times where we've struggled to get a date, we've struggled to get a girlfriend. Is it really the answer to go online and then feel sorry for yourself? Or am I being incredibly unsympathetic? Uh, right. No, you're not wrong. And, you know, we've, it, it, it's a, to be sexually successful, you have to kind of go through a lot of rejection, right? Mm. And it may be the case that incels are just very high on rejection sensitivity. And, uh, but it could be that just participating in the mating market causes them a lot more anxiety than the typical person. But I think you might be familiar that uh, victimhood is in vogue these days, yeah. So uh, particularly online. So I think incels as disenfranchised young men, rather than competing in an anxiety and mating market, they said, I'll have a piece of that victimhood pie and uh, form my identity largely online um, around this uh, this identity. So, And of course, you talk about it in, this in some of your research, that there are certain criteria for, uh, and, and a lot of studies have been done in, to show what percentage of incels do this and that, and the psychological traits that predispose people. So if we, we talk about the mainstream media coverage, I want to just come back to that for a second. Uh, one of the points you made is that in, in your research, for example, so the basic mainstream narrative is these are far right, white nationalist, you know, chauvinistic, sexist. And no, no, no. The manosphere is like part of the funnel. Like that. I mean, the media probably does a bad job of it, but the manosphere is part of the funnel. Like if you're having a hard time getting a date or whatever, or you went out and like, you know, a couple of women rejected you and you're like, oh, this must be because of feminism, because someone online tells you that that's not the first person or the first place you're going to be encountering sort of nationalist or, or white identitarian um, white identitarian sort of stuff. That's not where you're going to find it first. It, that's just the, that's like the tip of the iceberg kind of. There are some who are, but actually some of the research you, you, you've done, you found that these are disproportionately ethnic minority people actually, for example, right? Yeah. Uh, and also you, I think you found that some of the stereotypes are true, like half of incels live with their parents. So mm -hmm. the basement dwelling stereotype, you know, is fairly accurate. What are some of the other statistics that you can share with us about these groups? Sure, uh, yeah, and that was a significant finding that we had around the kind of, uh, we wanted to confirm or dispel this idea that they're far-right white supremacist movement. So yeah, 36% of our sample of 151 uh, male incels uh, were of color, people of color. And it was a largely US and UK sample. So that is disproportionate. If fewer incels were white than we would, we would expect by chance. Um, just to give you- Sorry to interrupt, yeah. uh, William. By color, let's break it down. Do, do they come predominantly from one type of background? Is it like black Caribbean, black African? Pakistani, Bangladeshi, etc. So there was, uh, as I recall, a little disproportionately more on South Asian uh, in in our sample. Uh, but uh, for this, but how did you get this? How did you collect the sample? Color together versus white, because yeah. the, the majority were white, uh, yeah. given our sample was U.S. and U.K. Uh, but n nothing overwhelming uh, of one particular minority. Just, oh. uh, but but incels are quite. Um, 
the, the idea that they might be white supremacist and uh, far right always struck me as a little bit odd because incels are very concerned online with what they see as the racism of the mating market. So they think that dating is quite like racist. where do you pull this data from statistics that bear that true and um, so it seems a very unusual thing for a bunch of white supremacists to be concerned about racism in the dating market right so and um, so just to so i didn't know that william can Good. we just double i'm like real curious about this guy's study now like what like how many people did he sample how did he decide who to sample quickly sure. before we, i want to hear all the data Absolutely. as well when you say they're concerned about racism, what, what, what do you mean? So they're, they're highlighting what they see as the unfairness of the dating market in uh, every sort of way they can see. But one of the ways is that they say, oh, it's quite racist. People's uh, dating preferences are somewhat racist. So uh, the idea that some races do particularly better in dating than others, oh, okay. it seems a strange thing if you were a white supremacist you would not have an issue with that, but they, they do. They're, they're concerned okay. about that. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Anyway, please carry on. So uh, for the levels of well-being that we wanted to investigate, so there's many reasons to think that incels commonly report that they struggle with their well-being and um, have well, that's health issues. should be uh, so we used, with, without uh, saying. NHS um, instruments, the PHQ-9 to measure... Yeah, this, so this guy seems to have... He's saying our study, our study, our study, but like... Wouldn't you think that he would also be pulling data from other studies if he's going to go on a, like a show and talk about the phenomena more broadly? Depression. I'm, conf I'm confused about his data. To measure anxiety. And 73% of incels in our sample versus 33% of non-incels could be clinically diagnosed as having severe and or moderately severe depression. 67% of incels could have severe or moderate anxiety based on NHS guidelines versus 38% of non-incels and 82% of incels in our sample said they had strongly uh, considered suicide. We wanted to kind of investigate the, the political attitudes a little bit more um, and it wasn't the main finding of our study but we did ask one question about political attitudes um, uh, and 39% said they were right-leaning, 17% said they were centrist and 45% said they were, uh, roughly 45% said they were left-leaning. So um, not what we expected to find. How big was the sample size? Like, I got to know, like, I guess I don't have time to look up this guy's study or whatever, but it's just one study because the, the, the manosphere community is like pretty strongly anti-feminist. And that's like a right wing position generally. And what the media kind of reports. But if you think about it with incel rhetoric being quite based around uh, redistribution of sexual mm -hmm. access. Mm. It kind of maybe makes sense from an extreme left-wing point of view. Um, Wait, redistribution of sexual access makes sense from an extreme left-wing point of view? I don't really know anybody. I mean, they, we joke around on Twitter. like We're like, oh, the communists redistribute ass, but it's a joke, right? Like, nobody really thinks that your consent should be redistributed. I don't know any leftist who thinks that. And if they did, I would obviously vehemently disagree with them. About the, the kind of the stereotype of incels still living at home. And one might be tempted to think, okay, 50% of incels still living at home, but perhaps they're quite young. The typical incel is a young male, right? Uh, however, the mean, the average age uh, for incels in my sample was um, 27. So you would expect, uh, you wouldn't perhaps expect that a 27 year old is still- But if it's a fairly small sample size, a couple 40 year olds throw the whole thing off, right? 
home. Now, it's become a lot more difficult to get on the housing market, particularly if you don't have a partner. Uh, you, you actually kind of need a, a dual earning household to get a mortgage pretty much these days. So it's a double, double whammy for incels to get circularly punished because being neat, not engaged in education, employment or training. So 17% of incels versus 9% of non-incels are considered neat. And that would have a real impact on their dating prospects because sure. uh, particularly for I mean you got plenty of time to go on a date don't you is a, a very important factor what it sounds like when you're describing these men and I'm actually getting more and more sympathy the more mm. that we go through this interview they just sound like blokes who've fallen through the cracks in society right yeah it's just disenfranchised but, but people fall through the cracks in society and don't join these online communities like that's the the difference here is like like the, the cutoff point is when, when you decide to join one of these online communities where all these other people are in this same situation and then, and you get blackpilled or whatever, that's like the cutoff point that like everything changes after that point. Cause there's plenty of people who are having a hard time dating, maybe are looking for a job, aren't in school and don't really have any hobbies or maybe they have hobbies that cost money and can't do it. And they don't join these kinds of online communities. And so those people don't even end up in this guy's sample set. Young men. And, uh, Unfortunately, historically, disenfranchised, sexless, unpartnered young men, a surplus of that demographic of people in a society is, has historically been very dangerous in the evolution. Oh, that's what Jordan Peterson says too. Psychology literature, we call that young male syndrome. And uh, they're typically the most prone to crime because they have elevated risk-taking and status-striving behaviors. Uh, so I recently heard it described as uh, that they have a, like a need for chaos, that they'd rather just tip the whole monopoly board of society over rather than participate in it because they feel we don't have a stake in this society uh, and nothing gives a young man a stake in society more so than a, a partner so and and on that point uh i don't know if you a partner gives you a stake in society i think like capital would give you what you what they're describing here as a stake in society right whether or not you have a partner if you and your partner are both poor you don't really have a stake in society and if you're single and you have a bunch of capital you probably have a much bigger stake in society uh, has a large number of men who can't get uh, married, basically. Um, but also, the question I wanted to ask you is, is it a case of we've got more people in that position than we've ever had? Or is it a case where we now have technology that allows people who otherwise would have been sitting in their mother's basement and playing... Why not both? Well, now they have a community. We all now have a community. We're all part of some community and we can go online and we can talk to other people who are part of that community and Both. become embedded. And I know one of the concerns, particularly with incels, is the being on an incel forum, they don't want you to get better, mm. right? The moment mm. you start actually getting dates and, you know, whatever, you become... Very good point. Ostracized, right? So is it a case that we've got more people in this position or is it a case that the tools of modern communication have allowed people to get together and be like, we're all incels together? Right. So yeah, touched on some very, very key points there. So historically, uh, throughout our evolutionary history, we always have had a greater variability of male reproductive success. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of men throughout our evolutionary history haven't got to reproduce. So we've always had uh, an, an incel problem. However, we had institutions to kind of deal with uh, this kind of surplus population. You had monasteries, you had even, unfortunately, uh, um, maybe an unpalatable idea is the idea of war and sending young men off on raids. Oh yeah, that's right. You remember when we used to have war, everybody? There's just no war anymore. 
countries they don't be doing war anymore so now we got now we got a bunch of uh now we got a bunch of dudes who can't get laid because there's no more war what the fuck uh, the promise that they will be able to get a wife that way. So Mary Harrington, who... who no, you get dead. You get dead that way. Really interesting article on incels as the new Vikings. So Vikings, what? historically, would have Dude, been... Vikings are hot. ...typical incels. Unpartnered... I mean, not really my type, but Vikings are hot. Vikings, uh-uh. They didn't have no trouble. Kind of cultural institutions aren't really available. Perhaps, I think it's, it's clear that's a good thing. But it does leave us with this uh, surplus uh, population. I think you're right that the online worlds have uh, given uh, all sorts of communities a chance to kind of galvanize around together. And that might make this particular group of incels uh, unique in history to be the first to consciously grapple with the fact that they, they may be to some extent an evolutionary dead end uh, directly, which is, you know, might, might really mess with someone's psyche. An evolutionary dead end? Like, that's like a very, like, individualistic way of thinking about evolution, right? Like, just because I don't reproduce what I'm now the evolutionary dead end. What about, like, my sister? She she has a son. I have a nephew. So some version of fucking what I think of as my family line is going to continue. But, like, I don't even care about that shit. I guess some people do. I don't know. Maybe it's because we're not like one of those families that does like a family tree and a genealogy and we know all our second cousins and all that shit. Maybe that stuff's more important to people with uh, maybe closer extended families. Maybe it's just a, a function of the of my my parents having moved away, like far away from where their family came from. There's also uh, the kind of modern features of the modern mating market that are evolutionarily mismatched with our ancestral mating market that maybe exacerbate problems there as well. So if you think about it, in our ancestral environment, you would have encountered perhaps uh, a couple of dozen potential mates in a lifetime. So persistent sexual rejection would have been perceived as catastrophic. You know, if you if that got a up and running, you could protect. Well, how persistent could it be if there's only twenty people to reject you? That's not quite the case now, but the rejection still hurts the same. And someone in the modern dating market with dating apps, big cities transport around could encounter more rejection in one day than would be possible in a lifetime in our ancestral environment. So for the psyche still remains the same so that that may compound the, any negative effects on the well-being. Um, a couple of other evolutionary novel features of the modern mating market are uh, the online way. It's a ubiquitous way to meet your partner now. I think 70% plus have uh, people since 2017 have met their partner online. And that means that the, the competition you're up against is everybody in the wider vicinity, not just who's in your neighboring tribe. It, it, but you're able to cast a wider net. I think a lot of people have unrealistic expectations. I think that, and I don't think they're going to touch on this during this, but I think just, I think a lot of us probably, you know, to some extent, myself included, we just have unrealistic expectations. And I mean, whatever, I guess that's fine. And then the numbers game just gets harder and harder, right? I forget who was said it and it's a little like uncouth or whatever, but if you're not able, if you're not willing to date someone as terrible as yourself, then you're going to have a problem. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here. It's just the whole world is against you. And the way that works negatively is that for an incel, a woman of maybe similar, what we would say is similar mate value, but she might be able to to meet a guy of higher mate value online and he will be willing to, to, to have a, a sexual experience with her maybe once or twice, but not commit to long term. But she gets the idea, that's my level.
and that, that's what I want now, and I'm going to keep chasing that. And perhaps you'd say, well, why shouldn't she? Uh, you know, but um, it may also be an uncomfortable truth uh, that we have to wrestle with that for most of our recent history, women had been settling with guys that they really weren't that keen on, but just out of strict monogamy norms and strict uh, economic necessity, they kind of had to. Now that women are beginning to outpace uh, men in education, certainly, and up until the age of 30 uh, economically, uh, they're kind of there's a mismatch of highly educated and selective women versus but then like i don't know then you just if you're a, a straight man or a mostly straight man then i don't know then you just accept it's fucking it's harder now i don't know like i don't understand any like i don't understand why like the the, the changing nature of the world and the changing nature of the dating market or whatever, as, as like a function of the changing nature of the world, I don't understand like why, why people, why like some people are acting like it's some kind of tragedy. It's like everything's changing all the time. Things are, things are changing real fast. That's the, the nature of the world. This is economically unattractive men because the, the, the female mate preference for a, a similarly high earning or uh, higher earning partner still remains. So those minority of men at the top, so there is a sign of some truth to this cliche of a minority of men are kind of monopolizing the attention. Uh, that's born through in a lot of studies that we see. But wait, isn't the same on the other side? Like aren't like... <sighs> Like, aren't all the hot girls or whatever, like, monopolizing a lot of the attention of the men, too? Doesn't it go both ways? A lot of um, the kind of facts and figures that, that illustrate that point. There is some truth to that. And when you have a minority in any sex ratio, they call the shots in terms of uh, sexual behavior. So if there's uh, only a minority of women in a, a, a society, the men are more uh, keen to commit long term. Whereas if you have only a minority of eligible men, then they call the shots and they're not, they're reluctant to commit. And the, the sociosexuality of the other sex has to mirror the, whichever is in the minority. It's a, a fascinating uh, way to look at it, like something so fundamental as sex ratios. And uh, there, there was even one really cool study. That's that chart we, uh, we keep showing where like the, the, the very top of the chart, the two people, the two men at the very top of the chart get all of the women like the men who are like a 10 and a nine or whatever get all the women going all the way down to a four on the chart however that works however we've however we decide how to assign those numbers and then and then everybody else is left with like nothing it doesn't it doesn't make sense that these researchers called rob brooks and candace blake they were able to predict geographic areas of high online incel activity based on three variables number one high income inequality overall. Number two, small gender pay gaps. So women earning nearly as much or more than men. And number three, male biased sex ratios. So fewer single women. So all of those together could predict geographic areas of incels uh, around the country. That was, that was amazing. Hey Francis, do you want to store all your internet passwords in one? No. It's as in Venezuela is incredibly worthless. Of course, money bill money. Use and trusted. It stores all. Use Bitwarden or LastPass, not NordPass. Data identifiers. God, this is a long commercial, isn't it? Which I despise, and I think is a symbol of our society. Oh, hi. Slowly crumbling and falling into the sea. Mm. But if you look at what they think is masculine beauty, 
It's a very specific type of guy, buffed to within an inch of his life, a certain But the guys they're showing, hold on, the guys they're showing here aren't buffed within an inch of their life. They're like, they look, most of them look like they're swimmers, not just because they're wearing swim trunks, but they're fairly lean. They're not like yoked. They're, they're lean, they're cut, they're slim. We would call them like athletic. They're not like buff. Features. Now, this is replicated on Instagram and all the way through our media. Mm. Is it any wonder that some lads just look at these blokes and go, well, this is what it means to be a good-looking bloke. I'm never going to achieve that, so what's the point in taking part? Well, well, yeah, that's exactly it. And they might just say it's uh, so hurtful to actually try and participate in this. That uh, How has it come to be that a significant portion of our young male population would prefer the victimhood identity of inceldom than actually participate in mating competition. You know, they must be getting something out of this identity. So they do. They get fraternity, they get a common enemy, a simple way to kind of view the world. And uh, one idea... Well, that's the problem. Diana Fleischman, who I believe you had on the show as well, she uh, put forward the idea that because of pornography, these men who are staying at home uh, and not participating in the mating market, they're getting what is called counterfeit fitness cues from pornography that tells them you're being a reproductive great success because you're having the sexual stimuli, ejaculating. No, it's just porn. Click together and they think there's no point in going out yeah, seeking you're status. It. Yeah. yeah, you're killing you're it to stay at home seeking status at home. I think it was Jordan Peterson who said this, that what we're feeding our young men with video games and pornography is the worst of both worlds because when you play video games, you feel that you're becoming successful, that you're improving, that you're hitting all these stats and targets. Right. What? And I remember do I had the what? experience of a lockdown where what I was the fuck? No, you're just doing well at a game. People have always played games, and some people were good at the games. Championship manager, whatever mm -hmm. football manager. And I, and I won the FA Cup, and then I signed a contract for being on 80 grand a week, and I'm like, yes, and then I looked around at my little flat, and I went, the fuck am I doing? Right. That, right? Yeah, that's a really good analogy, because I, I was addicted to football manager as well, so <laughs> yeah. I know. And it's such a, a futile sense of seeking status, because you can't even share it with your friends. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't... Especially not with women, that, that's <laughs> not going to help. Right. Wait, what? No, women play video games, you dumb fuck. Like, women play video games at the same rate that men do. They've just been largely excluded from the culture of video games because of shitty people probably who watch trigonometry. That's what Gamergate was all about in the end. They were like, oh, it's about ethics and game journalism. No, shut the fuck up. It was about, it was about, um, you know, it's a kind of a cliche example, but it was largely about people like Anita Sarkeesian crit criticizing video games as art because they're art. And there have always been art critics and they got mad about it. So if you were, you know, uh, like a young woman during Gamergate and you really enjoyed video games, did you want to be part of video game culture? I bet you didn't. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. sexy. They're, they're very, they're not very open-minded when it comes to your success. Right. Yeah. But I wouldn't be so hasty to cut. But no, you, oh my God, you don't just be like, you don't, pra like if you're on a date and you talk about video games, you go, oh, do you play video games? And they go, yeah, I really like video games. And you don't go, well, I'm the best at this one, blah, 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 blah. You go, what game are you into? And if you're into the same game, you like talk about the things about the game you like, and boom, you're having like a conversation about a common interest that you have with someone. They don't, it's not so much that anybody's supposed to care if you're good at it or not. The point of playing video games with your friends, okay, sometimes it's about blatting your friend, right? 
sometimes it's about getting your friend back for whooping your ass the last time, but it's a fucking, it's an activity you can do together. You can, you can do it by yourself. It's just like any other hobby. This is stupid. This is fucking stupid. Throw the baby out with the bathwater and mm. say it's all negative that the state is seeking is kind of uh, kind of zeroed in on online worlds because that might actually be what's stopping incels being more of a violent, disruptive process in society. Because if they weren't seeking status in these online worlds, they would potentially, like uh, all the other evidence for young male syndrome, be doing it out uh, in the world. Mm. So, but the, the the flip side of that is that. <clears throat> that all of their gripes about women and feminism and whatnot are going to be reinforced in these online communities. And in some of them, if violent ideation is like encouraged, like this guy doesn't seem to understand the thing he's talking about. So, you know, while the online hostility and the kind of um, disenfranchisement of young men in society it might be a problem on one hand. It's it's all, it may present a bigger problem if you get rid of it. So it's. Um... What about the uncharitable way of looking at this, which is to look at these men and go right. So they they join these communities because they want fraternity and all the other reasons you explained, which all make perfect sense to mm -hmm. me. And then going and then me thinking, well, you've just picked the easy route here, mate. Instead of working on yourself, instead of going out and going, you know, this is what I want to do with my life and working really hard and maybe having to work two jobs or whatever it may be. Yeah. You just sat in your room feeling sorry for yourself and your mates who you've never met before. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the idea of getting the girl has been motivational for men to improve themselves and seek status a lot. Um, there's an interesting paper called The Evolution of the Manosphere that talks about the pickup artist to incel pipeline. So incels actually came about because they originally tried pickup artist uh, camps or routines. Didn't really work. What the fuck? This is... Yeah, this guy doesn't really understand what he's talking about. Like, these pickup artist camps are generally not attracting people who can't get a date. They're attracting people who want to be players, who want to manipulate people so they can get laid more often. That's who these seem to be attracting. It's not attracting people who can't get a date in the first place. At least I don't imagine it is. Well, if you like find a relationship coach or a dating coach or whatever, maybe that's attracting people who aren't, um, who are having a little bit of a hard time dating or getting laid. But also those people are generally not part of these online communities. These people are like, Oh, what can I, what am I doing wrong? Let's see what I can fix. How can I, how can I make this easier? You know, am I looking in the wrong places and whatever? And those are like reasonable questions to ask if you want to be dating and you're not, this seems real. This seems, it seems like he did a study. And he like references a study a little bit, but then he's just saying stuff outside of like what his study's about. And it also seems like a bit of apologia for the manosphere, but that that's I'm super biased about the manosphere. I hate those fuckers. They said, oh, I've tried to gamify this system. It didn't work. I must be incel. And they just hunkered down into the victimhood of that identity then. No, 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 no. He's missing a step where they enter a maybe they enter a community that's not necessarily for the involuntarily celibate or whatever but it's like a manosphere kind of adjacent facility or whatever and then some people in that in that community um help themselves radicalize or yeah he's just he missed a whole step where you go from i'm having a hard time getting a date to i'm part of these uh incel communities 
there's a there's a whole radicalization process that happens there and he just is skipping over that and i think the reason he's skipping over that is because he doesn't want to get into the sargons of the world or the stefan molyneux of the world or the jordan petersons of the world because those people are awful simpatico with trigonometry trigonometry's guests and the politics of those people so they're gonna fucking skip that part but there's a funny thing that happens when you acknowledge or when you explicitly attach the goal of achieving uh, getting a girlfriend to any form of male self-development. Do you okay, the fir- first of all, like, if, if I had a friend who was having a hard time dating and they came to me about it, first of all, I'd be like, I'm probably not the right one. I'm gay. I'm like, whatever. Like, if you're trying to date women, you know, I don't have much experience there. But the, like the... If they're like, oh, I need to get a girlfriend, and I'd be like, homeboy, you need a date. <laughs> like, let's let's not let's let's not put the cart in front of the horse here. Let's 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 get you on a date. Let's get you in a situation where you might meet people. Like, so much so much like step skipping going on in his description of of what's going on here. A couple of years ago, Barack Obama, when he wrote his autobiography, and he wrote a couple of chapters on it about in college, he started reading certain books to impress girls. And I think that resonates with a lot of men of, you know, you'd try any trick to kind of, it's a real motivator to go and improve yourself. But Barack Obama was like lambasted in the media for, oh, how misogynistic, you know, he's doing all these manipulative tactics to try and get uh, particular girls. Like he was saying, I read this Marxist literature to impress one girl, read this other literature to impress another one. But I mean, he's just being honest about himself as a young man. And also, if you like, I don't know, if you like somebody and then they're into a certain book and then you read the book, maybe the book's good. And maybe you don't get the date or whatever, but you read the book and then the book's good. And, you know, that seems pretty innocuous to me and it seems typical of men. Women would never manipulate men to get there, would they? (laughs) They'd never put on makeup or anything like that. Right, yeah. Oh, there it goes. Before we, I want to talk about... Women wear makeup to manipulate men. It couldn't, the, the car couldn't be going the other way. Right. The car could never be going the other way. It couldn't be that women are expected to wear makeup, even in the workplace, as a famous Jordan Peterson um, interview said. But they're expected to wear that stuff in the workplace because we talked about this on the Sunday show when that uh, famous Jordan Peterson clip dropped, where it's like women kind of have to walk this fine line in the workplace. And if you watch, um, remember that show Mad Men? It shines a light on that in a very explicit way, where if you if your skirt's too long and you're just kind of wearing a sweater or whatever, you look frumpy and then people maybe talk about you. But then if your skirt's too short and maybe your, 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 the V on your shirt's a little too, little too low and your, your lipstick's a little too red and you got a little too much eyeliner on, well, maybe they say something a little different about you. So women in a professional environment, even to this day in a lot of places, they got to walk this fine line with how they present themselves in the office. And that's fucked up. And I don't think they're manipulating anybody by trying to walk that fine line. I think I think that car is going the other way. Some of the pathways out, because I think it's important. And uh, I know that there'll be people who come across this video on the internet who are in sales. And so I want to talk about some of the potential pathways to success out of it, because sure. I think th- this is the thing that I think people don't realize is uh, there's a difference between men and women. And one of the differences between men and women is that uh, women can victim their way out of problems sometimes. Wait, what? That's not going to work. What the fuck does that mean? How do you victim your way out of a problem? Maybe you were the victim of somebody. Maybe somebody victimized you. And what you have isn't a problem. What you have is 
you were a victim of something. I mean, I guess that's a problem, but calling it a problem seems, seems a little, seems like the wrong wording to use. For men, you're not going to victim yourself out. No one's going to give you shit for being a victim when you're a guy. And fair, unfair, right, wrong. I don't care. That's how it is. Yeah. Right. Wait, you're what? You're going to have to work, dig your way no, out. No, there's men who like drama queen and get what they want by drama queening too. Jordan Peterson, for example. Yourself. So I want to talk about that. Sure. But before that, how does one become an incel? Is it something that you think is a genetic predisposition? Is what? Part of you, you get mentally unwell, you may be a bit depressed, maybe this happens, that happens. Like I can tell you how most people end up there. It's pretty simple. Um, Faraday Speaks uh, talked a little on it, although he didn't end up in that community. He ended up in a far right community. But you're like they were saying, you're not working or maybe you, you, you have a shitty job or maybe your job isn't really shitty, but you hate it. Uh, maybe you're not in school. Maybe you're in school, but you're not doing so well or you're not interested in it. Your old hobbies don't really don't really do it for you anymore. Or maybe your income is such that you can't really participate in your old hobbies anymore. And then you enter a community that isn't necessarily an incel community but it is like an anti-feminist community or somewhere in sort of that manosphere thing. Maybe you find Jordan Peterson and that's like the top of the funnel. It's like, and as you go further and further down that, that funnel, you, your views on men and women and relationships become more and more radical until you end up on a 4chan board for the involuntarily celibate because someone else told you there's a lot of guys like you there. This guy's asking if it's genetic. Get out of here. Pathway. Uh, yeah, so I'd be very reluctant to kind of pathologize inceldom as like a any sort of genetic thing. Um, you know, just for any amount of reasons, someone could have enough difficulty in the dating arena and enough psychological problems that it causes them enough psychological distress that this becomes their identity. I think that's all there is to it. It's not like... It's not a disease or, or anything like no, that. It's I just wasn't a, saying kind of, that, but yeah. people are genetically predisposed to all sorts of things, good and bad, right? Certainly, yeah. But I'd be very surprised if there was one, maybe some kind of genetic disposition for low mating effort and uh, re more reluctance to try in the, in the mating arena. Um, but I think it's more a kind of like a subculture phenomenon right. that plays into kind of uh, psychological uh, issues that people are experiencing. Yeah, really important. And I, I'm kind of hammering this home here. Um, is they're just skipping the radicalization step that they're just either intentionally, um, or because they're ignorant or, you know, some little column a little column B, but they're like skipping the whole radicalization process in this discussion. Uh, so one thing we found that incels in our sample scored very high on a new personality construct called the tendency for interpersonal victimhood. And when I describe this tendency, you might wait a minute. Didn't Constantine, oh, Constantine said that women were able to essentially monetize the, uh, their victimhood in the marketplace or whatever, I guess. Groups, actually, and you might think, oh, we should test it on all this other group. So it's comprised of four different sub-dimensions. Uh, the need for recognition, which is a preoccupation with having the legitimacy of your grievance acknowledged. So the worst thing you can say to an incel is, you know what, you're not actually that bad. You could actually pick yourself up by your bootstraps and go out. They really hate that. They're like, no. That's what I'm about to fucking say. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, Constantine has jokes. His, anytime he spoke about incels, you know, he, what, what you might expect or what some media might expect Jordan Peterson to say about them, it was way off. He said, uh, I won't do a Jordan Peterson impression. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. He said basically, 
oh, incels, if you say that uh, all women don't want you, then they're right. They're, they're not wrong. All the women in the world that don't want you can't be wrong. You need to, and like he's the ultimate guy for self-development, right? If he can't save the incels, and uh, no one can. But that was his kind of take on it. Uh, so but that's that his mean. take for everything is that like his take for everything is like clean your room, bucko. You need to fix this yourself, bucko. And that's because he's like a right winger and he, he thinks everything is about the individual. Yeah. The second is moral elitism. So they scored high on believing that the individual or their in-group behaves more morally than others. The third is a lack of empathy. Wait, can we pause Good. on that? Yeah, Sorry, sure. William. This is like absolutely brilliant. We're Great. I'm <laughs> so glad we had you in to talk about this. Super. When you talk about this second point, mm. uh, can you expand on that a little bit? So, uh, so that was the moral elitism? Yeah, like in what way do incels, incels think they're morally superior to the rest of us? Right, so they might maybe categorize female mate preferences or uh, our kind of mating behavior as quite superficial and shallow. Right. Mm -hmm. Like th there'll be like women like money and tall guys, even though I'm a really nice guy on the inside. Right. That guy's an idiot. And you can make the argument, yeah, sure. particularly if you're a short man, you can make the <laughs> argument for that being uh, the preference for height being quite arbitrary and shallow and superficial. Yeah. But, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't serve me very well to no. hunker down into that argument. You got to go on the compensation game real hard. That, that's or, no, no, there's yeah, no compensation. You're just not tall. Like what the fuck? I like don't I don't I don't like browse my grinder profile or whatever and be like, oh that guy's pretty good looking. And then I go and he's like five six, and I'm like, uh uh. Like who does that? Do people do that? I don't think they do that. I think that that's like overblown. I think people. I probably have a preference for guys my height, like kind of twinky tall guys, sort of with dark hair, like but. It's just my preference. And it's like if somebody has like lighter hair and they're shorter or whatever, I might be hot too. I don't know. Kind of moral elitism uh -huh. okay. that they have. Right. Um, the then there's the lack of empathy. So that's a belief that because of their past victimization that they feel entitled to enact pain on others. Uh, and they, they, don't, they say, oh, well, no one cares about my pain, so why should I care about yours? Uh, and so score high on that dimension too. And the final one is rumination. So they have a tendency to constantly ruminate on past instances of perceived victimization. And that might, that rumination piece might point a pathway to uh, a therapeutic way out for incels. They're quite resistant to therapy initially anyway, but I have some ideas on that too. But uh, tackling the rumination through what's called metacognitive therapy, which is thinking about your thinking mm. and kind of cultivating an internal locus of control so that incels believe they can actually affect change right. in, in, in their environment. Because that's uh, one thing we found from our study was that the belief in the permanency of inceldom was a significant predictor of depression and anxiety among incels. Well, right. Or, if you think your life's going to be shit forever, that sort of would make you depressed, right. I'd imagine. So cracking that black pill is, yeah. is actually crucial. Yeah. So, I yeah, let's talk about the way out because... Like I say, I, I don't think victimhood is ever is, is, is not going to help, particularly men, because society doesn't feel sorry for men for reasons you'll, you're better qualified to, to elaborate on than I am. So the, my answer would always be the Jordan Peterson answer we just talked about, which is at the end of the day, you have to, you have to be better, right? The reason women aren't attracted to you is their perception of your mate value is low. Yeah. Right. Now you need to raise that. Yeah. And actually, one of the ways that men are somewhat benef beneficiaries of the system is that it's much harder for a woman to raise a mate value than it True. is for a man. Because yeah. 
What? For, for men talk about superficial. Men are all about the looks, right? You mm. can't really. Change. Oh my God. Like this is like such a, this is <clears throat> such an antiquated way to think about uh, gender or sex and gender relationships and stuff. It's not true. It's not true. There's a lot of women out there who they want their man to be hot. There's a lot of men out there. Who maybe they want their they want their girl to be hot. And then there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I want someone kind and thoughtful and funny, or someone who shares my interests, or you know, if if you're a single parent, oh, somebody who's going to be good to my kids if we end up dating for a while. Or people care about all kinds of different things. But sure, of course, like people want to be physically attracted to one another. But as a guy, if 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 you think the women are shallow and they want money, well, there's some things you can there's do about that. There, yeah. You know, if if it's is it charisma? Is it being funny? Is it whatever those things are? Mm -hmm. Those are actually things you can work on. Right. Right. I mean, can you work on being funny if you're not? I wonder about these kinds of things. Like if, because if you're like, if somebody makes you laugh on the first date, they're probably not trying to make you laugh. Right. They just say something. They just say something that pops into their head and it's kind of clever and you think it's funny. I don't think they're like, I don't think they you get dates by telling knock knock jokes or doing a stand up routine or whatever. So I think like, you know, like the things like you think are funny about your friends, like it's like the kind of their insights and the way they kind of view things and the way they respond to things, the way they react to the world around them is kind of funny. It's not that they're cracking jokes all the time. I would argue that is going to be a big part of any solution to to coming out of that situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I very much agree with you for the most part about uh, male mate value being more kind of changeable and you can work on it, except for the height. And yeah. that is a significant one uh, because it's a very kind of stark finding that there's a, a, a cutoff point for most women uh, with in terms of height. But for the most part, I certainly what? agree with you. But it depends on what our goal should be. That All of that is based on the assumption that the goal should be that the incel, majority of incels should go out and... Uh, get girlfriends. Now that might be the psychologically healthy thing for uh, maybe even most incels, but there will be a significant minority where that would actually be cause of more anxiety and actually that could be really uncomfortable for the women that they go out mm. and try and pull. Because these are well. not well-adjusted mm -hmm. people to be in a right. relationship. And you mentioned, oh, there's charisma and there's uh, personality, for sure. But there's also the halo effect that we perceive people who are attractive to have better personalities. It's also not that easy to just develop a very winning personality, particularly if you're anxious already. Mm. It's kind of hard to go out and do that. A lot of incels report to being autistic. It's not something I measured in my study, but they've done their own mm. in-house uh, studies on that to say that their own in-house studies over representation what does that mean in, uh, among is incels. that like doing your own research so yeah that cultivating a winning personality isn't isn't that easy um yeah it's a, but it's see a, this is what people like you're not allowed to say this in modern society mm. but things like anxiety for the most part they're not without cause like when i was 18 years old i remember it was the first time I went to get a job. Mm. I'd go to the student employment office at my university and I would be sweating buckets because I was so anxious. I didn't know what to do. I felt uncomfortable. I thought they'd judge me for not having any, like all of that, yeah. right? But anxiety. that's like, okay, so there's a big difference between having like generalized anxiety and then having anxiety about something that's about to happen or not happen. There's just, those are not the same thing. It's very often simply a symptom of the fact that you're not, prepared for the situation that you're putting us And everything you want, everything you want in life lies at the other end of a journey of a lot of anxiety. Yeah. That's just life, Absolutely. right? And so you, you're not going to get anywhere if, if 
being anxious is stopping you from doing stuff. And the only way you get less anxious is by doing stuff that makes you anxious. That's been my experience. Yeah. And you tap into something there, actually. Uh, and to get, like, to be sexually successful with women, you have to really love women and really want it, right? And Well, I mean, you have to, yeah, you have to, like, be interested in women to be, yeah, that, what? That's, okay, good job, thanks. Out there through all the pain and rejection <laughs> and come out the other side, right? Maybe it's just, maybe there's a, like a, 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 an element where it's just not that, it's not worth the pain for incels now. Perhaps it's linked to pornography, meeting those sexual needs at home at a, an easier level. Um, but that's perhaps only going to get worse if you think of virtual reality, pornography, sex robots, things like that are going to exacerbate that problem a little bit more. So you tell me then, what, what are the answers? How, how do, the, the, the majority of incels, let's say, who maybe can function in a relationship well, right? how do, how, how do they get to where they want to? Because the thing is, underneath all the depression, the mm. anxiety and, and, and all the hatred and all the bullshit, yeah. these are just young men who want to who want to have a girlfriend, right? right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a beautiful thing to aspire to. So Wanting to have a girlfriend is a beautiful so, thing. Uh, there is the issue of which direction is the causality. Are they depressed because they can't get girlfriends or can they not get girlfriends because they're depressed and anxious? But It's I, a chicken and egg thing, dude. Come on. Directional. Right. One affects the other and kind of it's cyclical. Um, there is a lot you can do to improve your mating intelligence. You can, and like, you know, the figures I pointed to about being neat and still living at home, those are fundamental things that I think uh, would be improvable. Mm. A lot of the time with young men, particularly to young incels, I know they would think it's patronizing when, when I advise them on this, but just even waiting until you're 30 rather than 20 is such a game changer for men in terms of, uh, because women typically don't really like to, uh, to go out with men that are much younger than them. So when you're 20, right, but, pool but, of women but, 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 but when you're 20, there are fucking women who are 20 or 19 or 21 or 18 or 22. There are women in your age cohort. What the, what is he talking about? <laughs> Potentially even interested in you is really small. It's like really close to your age. But as you get up to around 30, the women who are approaching 40 are interested in you. And the women who are closer to 20 are in, potentially interested in you too. So just a, a sheer age. Oh, we're flying pretty close to the sun here, buddy. You more status as you get older. You achieve more in life and have more to show, get a bit more experience socially. Um, so yeah, I, I think there is a lot just fundamentally on their socioeconomic status um, that, that we could do. But the incels would probably say, yes, okay, I hear you, I need to improve. But they're, what they're really railing against is the the sudden unfairness of it compared to, let's say, the 1950s, where pretty much every man was guaranteed uh, to get a job and to get a wife. How, wait, how do we know that? We don't know that. This guy's like, it's this romanticized version of the past. They're like, we don't know. We're maybe the same proportion of, of men in the fifties were without a partner. Like we, we called women like back then they were like spinsters. And so there had to be men without partners too. And not for nothing. There were probably a lot of, um, probably some gay men out there who couldn't come out who were without a partner. But this, we, we weren't collecting this kind of data in the fifties. At least, I don't think we were, not to my knowledge. 
they see that that's suddenly culturally been taken away from them really suddenly. And we haven't started uh, rewarding different things. So we've done a great job of bringing women into the workplace. But we haven't done a great job of bringing men into the home or that even being considered sexy. You know, uh, maybe we could do both things. Maybe we could try and improve the socioeconomic status of young men on one hand. And maybe we could also start rewarding things like uh, stay-at-home father and things like that. But one study pointed to women's mate preferences that just 5% said that they desired a relationship where they work full-time and men work part-time or not at all. That's just 5%. This is what I was going to say, man. As an evolutionary psychologist, do you think that's ever going to happen, though? Because I'm not sure we're wired that way, are we? It's not. uh, It doesn't seem to be. It hasn't been the tendency. That we're we're not wired that way? Or is it that societal expectations over over the generations have, have made that? something we don't do. What do you mean wired that way? Really, uh, most places, but it's a very unique evolutionary novel time. Mm. And what mate preferences are really sensitive to is what we reward culturally, right. what we assign status to. Yeah. So you can assign status about anything. Actually, that's a bit of advice I'd give to incels. Create your own status game. Find your little niche. Because I'm never going to be a great mating success if I go to the nightclub and try to pull the Love Island mm. gym bunny, mm. right? But like, there's all kind of people at the nightclub. What nightclub is this guy going to? I, I just, maybe maybe my view on this is a little bit different. Because if I'm like going to the club to try to meet somebody, I'm going to a gay club. And there's all kind of people there. There's like kind of kind of fucking burned out middle-aged queens like myself. There's guys older than myself up into their 70s there. There's like twinky guys. There's, there's like all kind of different people there. And it's like a mix of all these different kind of people. And I think maybe it's just because um, culturally, uh, until fairly recently, gay people have been kind of pushed aside from mainstream culture. So maybe like gay culture has sort of rejects some of those norms anyway. But like when you go to the club, there's uh, there's women there other than the hottest woman at the club, dude. You could go talk to any woman at the club or you go try to. This guy's never been to the club. This guy never, this guy's never been like, or I'm sorry, he's one of these. His hands never go above his shoulders, right? Not going to happen. They, they want a different type of guy. But if I'm at a debate festival or something like that and uh, intellectually stimulating kind of environment... There's going to be... Ver- there, dude, good luck, finding a, good luck finding a girlfriend at a debate festival. Come on, dude. I might blow someone's hair back. You know, that, that's my kind of arena. Um, so you really have to... And there's any amount of... Uh, status domains now. So I would encourage incels to kind of find a smaller niche because proximity alone uh, breeds kind of intimacy as well, you know. But uh, th- that's another thing that often people used to meet their partner at work and that's problematic now, suddenly. Uh, no, it's not. It's a problem if you're their boss. It, it's, it seems a, a bit of a kind of a, a not well thought out idea to just say suddenly you shouldn't do that at all. I'm thinking of my um, my former colleague, she, she used to really want to meet someone and she wouldn't go online. She wouldn't go on the online dating apps. And I said, where are you going to meet someone? You leave the office at five, you get on the train and then you're home to sleep and then you're back in the office again. If you're not going to meet someone at the office, are you- Have you heard of the weekend? Someone on the train and you won't go on the apps? Uh, what if you meet somebody on the train? That's like- I'm sorry, meeting somebody like on the underground or whatever is a meet cute, right? Like if I met somebody on light rail and then we ended up dating, that would be a meet cute. 
It's like she's really. That's the only thing. That's the only thing I think is bad about dating apps. I think is that it the meet the meet cute is is a lot harder to uh, to achieve. So you don't have like as cool a story. Being a really small world for herself, and it was a, a, a struggle. Hey, Constantine, do you love trigonometry? Well, I'm from. I mean, we watch it. We watch it because we we have to. Like for hordes of left-wing comedians try to put us in gulag. What advice would you give if you see a friend or a little brother or maybe your son start progressing down this path and you can see spending more and more time online, maybe saying things that start ringing alarm bells in your head. How do you help someone like that? Uh, yeah, I think it is uh, about kind of uh, cultivating a meaning in, in young people's lives beyond just this kind of online identity, um, you know, get them more active, doing more things, hobbies. Uh, in my previous uh, professional background, I worked as a careers advisor, and the, uh, we have a, a kind of a big problem in schools where young people are just doing less stuff. It's like, you know, you, in my class, if you ask people what your hobbies were, they had all sorts of different hobbies, or they were going different places, or uh, out and about engaging with the world. Um, whereas now it's kind of, I don't do anything. I'm just gaming or I'm online. And I don't want to kind of, uh, you know, really villainize gaming or anything like that. There's no, I'm a massive gamer. I love right. games. And it can be, kind of, but in my time... Constantine's like, the game. gaming is the only place I can still call people the N-word. I used to be when I had time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but it used to be kind of more community-based, right? Where yeah. you gather around and yeah. you play yeah. Nintendo 64 against each other. Now it seems to be a very... Yeah, chat. Somebody in chat had a good point, has a good point here. It might be socioeconomic that hobbies actually cost money. So like if you want to, let's, let's, let's say I wanted to take up skiing. I was like, oh, you know, that's an interesting thing I could take up and I might meet some interesting people. Oh, wait a minute. How much are skis? <laughs> how much does it cost to get to Tahoe? Wait, how much is lodging there? How much is a lift pass? Like hobbies cost money. Like, like doing this now we're actually making more money than we're spending on this, but this cost money to put together like this whole thing. Like you have to have a computer, you have to have a microphone, you have to have a place to sit, you have to have a fancy backdrop. No, you don't have to have the fancy backdrop, but you, you have to have things to engage in most hobbies. And so they're not free. Uh, bicycling is one of the things I like to bicycle and you know, it's, <clears throat> If you're going to ride all the time, you're probably going to spend $800,000 on your bike, but then you're going to keep it for five years. So it's actually a cheap hobby. Uh, running's a cheap hobby. You buy a hundred, even a hundred dollar pair of running shoes. Okay. But those are kind of solitary um, hobbies. Maybe not so much with biking. You can go biking with your friends and whatnot. Um, skateboarding for a, you know, for a 16 year old, a skateboarding is kind of an expensive hobby unless your parents are buying all the stuff. So like a lot of the problem with not having hobbies is socioeconomic locked into a headset, not even talking to someone who could be far around the other side of the world. It just seems a bit of more of an insular, isolated uh, thing, yeah. And that would suggest, from what you were saying there, that actually we're going to see the incel community grow because as we become more online, more men are going to become, become disenfranchised, therefore more incels. Yeah, there's no sign that this wider mating crisis, which affects more than just incels, it affects uh, women uh, as well. Um, investment bankers Morgan Stanley released a forecast saying that by the year 2030, they predict that 44% of working age women will be single and childless. 
which is great for them having the access to a lot of worker drones. But is it clear that single and childless, and I'm, I'm libertarian as far as people's choices go. I want people to be able to be full-time, stay-at-home mom, work full-time, work part-time, whatever you want. But it's not clear that working for Morgan Stanley, a 60-hour work week, is uh, that liberating compared to starting a family. Or, you know, it's, um, that seemed like a quite, they call it the rise of the she economy. And uh, it's like they've figured out. Oh, this, he's like soft peddling the fact that women might be happier if they were like at home barefoot and pregnant, right? Like he's not saying that, but that's kind of what's being soft peddled here. And I don't know. I don't know. When we were kids, I remember when my mom wasn't working, she was miserable. She didn't like work neither, but she really didn't like not working. And um, I just I, I, like, I think every every woman I know would be miserable if they weren't working. I, on the other hand, would love to not work. Workplace now, women are really killing it in the workplace. We have access to them. So that, that, that's a, yeah, it's a kind of a, a stark prediction. But, and how much of this, again, this is going to be a controversial question. How much of this is actually, there's a lot, there's some women out there who've got unrealistic expectations. We just touched on it. Wait a minute. Don't the, don't don't a lot of people who can't get a date, isn't a lot of the reason for that going to be unrealistic expectations no matter who you are? Because like, like I said, a friend of mine said, you know, you can always find a date if you're willing to date someone as terrible as you are. And I mean, it's kind of a fucking terrible thing to say, but it's true. If you're willing to date someone who's just as bad as you are, then you'll always be able to find a date. And I think people always want to date somebody better than them. I think my last boyfriend was better than me, a better person, more kind person than I am, probably a little smarter than I am, better looking than I am. Um, but I think he probably thought those things about me too. So it's like, <clears throat> but not everybody gets that opportunity even once in their life, much less like, even, not even once temporarily, much less like on a permanent basis. And so, I think a lot of people are going to suffer from unrealistic expectations and they're like focusing on the women having unrealistic expectations here. And that's kind of crazy because the community they're talking about is certainly suffering from unrealistic expectations. About what they're going to get from a mate. You often hear it with, woman, with women in London. I want a man who's six foot, who earns this amount of money, who does this, who does that, who's good looking, who's funny. who's. And I'm like, you've just described the gay bloke love. So you're never going <laughs> to... But, well, at least he knows that we're. At least he knows that we're the better. We're better than him, right? At least he knows that uh, that that the homos are better than him. We'll give it to non Oliver on that one. But yeah, but yeah, but on the other side, then if you are a single woman, why wouldn't you want that? And if there's no reason why you should take anything less, why should they settle? Uh, they don't need the economic support. So my single female friends, they're looking for love. They're looking for a a great guy, and you know. My pushback to that would be you're looking for something that is completely idealized and doesn't exist in the real world. Mm. There is no such thing as a perfect guy. But they might say that unless they can have their idealized version of perfect, they would prefer be single. And this is actually... Uh, I mean, that's where I'm at. Like, what's the problem with that? Unless I find somebody that blows me away, I'm perfectly happy with casual dating and hooking up. I don't, like, I don't see why that's a problem. And I don't, I think that, in fact, if they were having a discussion with someone like me about gay culture and I said, that's what I prefer, I don't think they would be framing it as a problem. I think that they're only framing it as it a problem is if, if women are doing it, but like women are just people like me, they're just women. 
And so some of them are like, hey, if I don't find somebody that blows me away, I'm just going to date around and hook up and go to the club and hang out with my girls or, or my or my guy friends or whoever. And like, w- that's not a problem. Why? Why is it a problem if it's if it's a woman doing it and maybe not so much a problem if I'm doing it? Is It's just cultural expectations. And I think the cultural expectations of men and women are at the root of everything they're talking about here. And, but they're not going to they're not bringing this up, really. Because their their mission on this show is to sort of reinforce those kinds of cultural expectations. A failure of cross-sex mind reading for incels, because they always say, oh, there's no such thing as a female incel because they can always get something. They just need women. But so can so can straight men. And they can get access to sex. But I think they're underestimating just the extent to which women don't want to have sex with men they don't want to have sex with right <laughs> but nobody wants to, if you if if you're having sex with someone you don't want to have sex with i mean if you consent you consent and that's 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 on you baby but like we have like a like we have words to describe i don't want to have sex with this person and we're doing it anyway <laughs> fucking god Damn. It's not a net good for them. It's actually a cost inflicting. And also women aren't looking for sex anyway. Right. Wait, what? Or, or even to, to settle with a... Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Guy, you know, to, to have to lower their standards, they see that as, well, something is better than nothing. Yeah. Whereas women are like, no, no, it really isn't. Um, it actually would inflict a cost on me because they risk a lot uh, with sex, you know? Yeah. Mm. Uh, th- that's really, really interesting. Wow, this is a 44% single childless women. I mean, that is not a recipe for a healthy society. Why? It's not, yeah, considering <laughs> what we know about young male syndrome and kind yeah, of Yeah, but it's not good for young women because women want to, ha- to, to, to have a partner and to have kids, a lot of them, uh, mm. and the society. So they, they're saying contradictory things here, right? Because they're saying, well, women can just get a man if they want one and men can't do that. But <clears throat> now they're saying that you know, it's going to be bad for women if 44% of women are single and don't have any kids. And those two, those ideas, like, they're not compatible with one another, I don't think. I think they're contradictory. Except for maybe maybe they're just missing the idea that for some women or just some people, it is good to be single, single and childless. Because that's just what you want. You're living your life and the, you're, this relationship and a, and a kid, it just doesn't ever happen for you. And you're happy, you're well-adjusted, you have friends and hobbies, and maybe you're dating casually, maybe you're hooking up. And maybe that's just what some people want. Sure, I guess you don't end up with someone to grow old with, but like, like, so? You end up in an old folks' home, and maybe you're still like playing cards with the old folks, and playing chess or checkers, or you know, talking about your old times, and fucking saying like things that are like probably culturally inappropriate because you, you know, society's passed you by a little bit. So I don't I don't see the problem here. Impact of that society are just really yeah really worrying. because uh, from if we go even more historically through our evolutionary history, eighty three percent of human societies have been preferentially polygynous, meaning one man and multiple wives. Uh, so the cultures that began to practice monogamy began to flourish more than cultures that didn't. 
because the main cultural advantage of monogamy is the egalitarian distribution of women. And your viewers are probably going to really chastise me to talk about distribution of women. But yeah, you're uh, speaking as a scientist <laughs> right. as opposed to... Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, don't cancel if, me. If we <laughs> talked about the distribution of women, it'd be a different thing, but you're, you're speaking professionally. Right. So. so tell us about bird distribution. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do have that surplus population of young men, if you they're out status-seeking, they're out they're competing for mates. If you free them up from that competition, they have an investment in society and their economic output goes up and they're, they're not killing each other as much. Right. They're not smashing each other's faces in outside of Weatherspoons because they've got a wife and two kids at home. Right, exactly. They've got an investment and stake in the future. Um, but it's funny because uh, there was an anthropologist called Helen Fisher who works with Match.com uh, on their kind of relationship scientist stuff. She was uh, she asked um, a, a kind of I can't remember what culture it was, but it was a polygynous culture. Uh, she asked the man who had three wives. She was walking along with him. She said, "How many wives would you want in an ideal world?" And he had three, and he just paused and leaned in close and said, "None," <laughs> because. In polygynous marriages, the sister wives fight a lot. They poison each other's children. It's no picnic. They poison each other's children? And I'm all for freedom and for people to... Uh, Wait a minute, what the fuck? Hold on, we got to stop for a second here. They poison each... Like, so he's talking about like societies where polyamory is either enforced. Maybe it's not polyamory if it's enforced. Um, he's talking about polygamous societies. Is there an epidemic of what he called sister wives poisoning the other wives children that seems seems like a t pretty tall claim that he would have to like tell us like why he thinks that or where he heard that from in relationship structure remain single be polyamorous whatever it is you want to do that's my uh, sensibility on it uh, but it is an absolute finding that a strong cultural norm of monogamy uh, has led cultures to flourish for that very reason and do you think another part of the problem as well is that like, like you intimated, our society, we've become more feminized. We've become more feminized. We've become, certainly the education system has. We what, what does he mean when he says feminized? We don't do the same with max masculinity. We talk about toxic masculinity. So a lot of the time you go online, it does feel like in many ways quite an anti-masculine space. Yeah, and uh, something I'd add to that is what I would call the obligation for success. So we've done a great job of egalitarianism of uh, a woman could leave school or a girl could leave school and say, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom, I'm going to work part-time or I'm going to work full-time. The man doesn't have that option. He leaves school and knows he has success, success or success or he doesn't, uh, uh, he's, not, um, he's not going to find a, a partner really, you know, so. I'd quibble you with you on the woman stay-at-home mom because a mm. lot of women are demonized actually for, for making that choice, which is again a problem, right. I think. And you could see maybe how that might be driven by the likes of Morgan Stanley. Yeah. Well, quite, yeah. quite. And also as well, what about the geographical element of it? Because I would imagine that if you grew up, for instance, in a, in a town somewhere outside of London, which has got very little industry, poor areas like the Northeast or maybe the Southwest like Cornwall, you're more likely to be an incel because there's just less opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what uh, the, uh, the researchers found, that they could predict the geographic areas based on high income inequality. So just that overall and, and the lower gender pay gaps. So Although like, I'd imagine actually London would be much more likely to be somewhere that meets those standards, wouldn't it? Perhaps. Higher income inequality, it, 
Overall, perhaps, yeah. yeah. And what you might see there in London is more of that status striving seeking behavior. You've got yeah. knife crime where uh, for knife crime or getting yeah, that's, gang violence yeah. might be actually <laughs> that's, that's status seeking behavior. You know, you know, women want a guy who does knife crime, a strategy to achieve enough status in your little arena. Um, if you have no economic chance, you might as well take your chance on gang violence. Yeah. And let me ask you, uh, this is unrelated, but you brought it up in terms of monogamy. Mm. Is that, is how natural is that to human beings? Right. So I actually gave a talk on the evolution of monogamy. Uh, and the answer is that we kind of have evolved psychology for both. Uh, so, you know, uh, infidelity exists in every culture in the world, even in those punishable by death. So, it, But we also have pair bonding psychology. There's a lot about our biology that points to us being uh, more naturally kind of uh, monogamous or at least pair bonding. But humans have always kind of serially mated. They, they mate, they leave their mate, they form another mateship. It's not like... Casual dating. Monogamy always. And without the cultural norm, you tend to maybe veer more towards polygyny. Um, but like I was saying, we're very sensitive to, um, uh, to those cultural cues. So if you make, literally that's what happened. You had agriculture came around and you got stark inequality of mating success. So people were able to, for the first time, stockpile resources and get massive income inequality. And they monopolized the mating opportunities too. So uh, to stop that, you had to create the cultures that created a strong cultural norm of monogamy that it's tough to stick to mm. at times. Um, but if there's a strong cultural norm, people will strive to stick to it. And that leads cultures to flourish. So, so with that in mind both. then, and the stuff that we've been talking about today with the dating apps, with the fact that a large number of men are excluded from that or certainly feel excluded, are we sort of heading towards a direction where there's less monogamy and the elite quote-unquote men at the top are hoovering up more than one woman at a time and, and playing the, that field for longer and maybe you start to see cultural movements where you're going, well, if a man can afford to blah, 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 then why shouldn't he have three wives? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that would be, I mean, it, it's radical to kind of think of it, but it's not. But it seems the direction we're going in just on the, on the, found, on the, like the foundational yeah. data. Because some of the data shows that we, the mating pattern is kind of like effective polygyny. So right. one statistic about that is Compared to 2002, men in 2013 had similar uh, number of mates overall. But what they showed was the top 20% had a, a, a huge, um, like 25% increase in the number of mates. And the top 5% of men had a massive 38% increase. So it was really, really dramatic, this big skew. I think with the economy, uh, given that women... But wait a minute, that's like self-reinforcing because when they say like the top top status or whatever those are the people who are already having the most sex or having the most relationships so it's like a like by saying we're gonna take a survey of the people having the most sex and we'd be like oh shit those people are having the most sex or having the most mates well no shit that's the thing you're taking a survey of what do you mean top status like by what measure are you saying are you saying top status because if you're just if top status is just defined as who who's getting the most mates then you go look for the people who are getting the most mates, you're going to find the people that you already uh, looked at who are the top status. Money very well. Uh, it, it's less likely that they'll say they need 
to share a mate. They, they don't typically like to do that unless they have to, right? <laughs> so it's a, 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 and one of the advantages to polygyny that they always say is, oh, well, women have access to a high quality mate and they can share them, but they don't really like to do that. So unless they have to, I think we're, we're more likely to see a, a rise of singlehood and kind of this atomized uh, sexual kind of culture where you have uh, sexual experiences become more individual and uh, less uh, long-term commitment, perhaps. Well, that's as good a place as any to stop the podcast on this, I think. So this was like, <clears throat> this was like a lot of tropes, like a lot of like, a lot of things that I think are imposed upon both men and women by like the, the inertia of the patriarchy, like for lack of a better way to describe it or whatever, like <clears throat> beaver cleaver time. It seems like forever ago because none of us here were alive during that time, but a lot of our parents were, so it wasn't that long ago. And, you know, history always echoes and it doesn't matter if it's, if it's war or the battle of the sexes, as you say, or civil rights or any of these things, it's not things, things don't progress as quickly as we think they do. Things aren't that different and societal expectations, you know, just at like a, like a family dinner party or whatever, if you go, I don't know, for Thanksgiving, Nobody's asking the men why they're not fathers, but people are asking the women why they're not mothers, maybe. And it's like, well, why are you doing that? And it's because the societal expectation from previously is still being imposed, even though we like to believe that that's gone. That's not gone. It's still here. Um, and that's it. I mean, I kind of wish we hadn't watched that. It was kind of bad, but whatever, whatever. So... Uh, we're going to go into red light here in a minute. I'm going to let you go, podcast listeners, except I'm not. This is going to be a freebie. Go to patreon.com slash echoplex, and you'll get the post game over there. And while you're there, consider becoming a member. Uh, other ways to support us are at echoplexmedia.com slash support. I'm going to play boomers real quick. Uh, everything's set up differently here now, so it might I might we might play another song after boomers while I uh, switch everything around and uh, situate myself with a beverage. Um Thanks everybody for hanging out. This is our first show in our new studio and uh, yeah, I'll be back in a minute with the post game.
all the goth DJs and Twitch witches are hanging out on Thursday for the bad VHS rips, unblinking eyes, and fire by night. Thetans and Satans comes from an interest in the cult of Scientology, moral panics, Satanism, and how they set the tone for the extremist social media panics of today. We really earn our weird left Twitch badge with this show, watching the world go red light in reverse every Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.